today in just a moment. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to begin reading at verse 16. These are the words of the Apostle Paul that he wrote to the church of Corinth. And he said in verse 16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. Father, we're thankful this morning for the privilege of being in this place, for the privilege of being in America, Lord, where we can still assemble on the day that we celebrate your resurrection. Come together in your name, that name that's given among men above all names, whereby men must be saved. Lord, we come to worship you, Lord, according to the dictates of our heart and according to the leadership of the Spirit. May we do that today in a way that would honor you. We're thankful for the word that you have given us. You've inspired it. You've preserved it perfectly unto this day. And Lord, if we hear its message and heed it, then if we're lost, we can be saved. If we're saved, we can grow in grace and in knowledge. Now bless this word, I pray. Stir our hearts, Lord, and let us leave here this morning when the benediction is given, the last amen is spoken, saying it's been a good place to be. Save the lost. Reclaim a backslider, stir your people, and glorify your name. For we ask it in that name that's given above every name, the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, and all of God's people said, Amen. Look again, if you will, at verse 16, and listen to the peculiarities of what Paul said. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. And look what he says. For necessity is laid upon me, Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. I, I want you to know that, first of all, this, this passage of Scripture and the context that it is written in, Paul was defending himself as to why he was not taking any stipend or money or payment uh, for preaching the gospel to the church of Corinth. Now he was receiving help. Everybody that preaches the gospel has to be helped. If, if we preach the gospel, we're to live by the gospel, the word of God tells us. But here at Corinth, for whatever reason Paul had, knew in his heart, knew in his spirit that it would have been wrong at that church at that time to receive money from them, he let them know that, now wait just a minute, I'm choosing not to take payment for you, uh, from you, the people of Corinth. But let me tell you what he does do. He emphatically and clearly emphasizes the fact that he cannot not preach the gospel. Now he said, I don't charge you to do it. He said, well, I'm doing this free of charge. It won't cost you anything. But let me tell you what I will not not do, and that's not preach the gospel. He said, necessity uh, demands that woe is upon me if I do not preach the gospel. And look, one of these days I'm going to preach on the pressure of duty. And that's what Paul was speaking about here. He had a pressure of duty upon him by a call and commission for God that was on his life. 
to preach the gospel of Corinth. And here's the text. Last week I preached on something this church must be, and I preached on people of the book. This week I'm going to preach on uh, something this church must do, and it is preach the gospel. Listen, here at Roxalana Gospel Tabernacle, we must preach the gospel. Now look, friend, I'll tell you what, folks, we, 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 we could do without many things here at RGT. And I believe you will say amen with what I'm going to say in this new facility. I'm thankful for it. If you are too, say amen. It's lovely, it's comfortable, it's warm, it's welcoming, but we could live without many of the comforts that we have here, many of the accommodations that um, we have in this place of worship. We could do without these nice uh, nice chairs that we have. They're comfortable, so comfortable some people sleep in them. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but it's true. And look, I don't care if you sleep on me. You can trust me to sleep. That's right. It's those people who stay awake and listen, the ones I've got to worry about. You people that sleep, I don't have to worry much. I, I like the HVA system. It keeps us warm in the summer. Uh, cool, cool, uh, warm in the winter and cool in the summer. And we can do without these LED lights. I mean, they're amazing. I can see better in here than anywhere um, that I go, but we could do with that, or we could do with that our multi-stall restrooms. How many of you women are glad for them? Say amen. Amen. I mean, I mean, we could do it without the elevator we could have. We could do it without the video streams, the sound system, our place on Facebook and sermon audio. We could live without paid parking lots, buses and the vans that we have, the activity building that's been here for a long time. We could do without many things here at Roxalana, but we cannot do without the preaching of the gospel of the grace of God. Cannot do that. Now, you're going to get tired of me saying that, because that's what this message is about. It's about what this church must do, and we must preach the gospel of the grace of God. We must do that. You see, the gospel is our charge. It's our business. It's the foundational message of this church or any church that has been blood-washed and redeemed by Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit and trusted with His Word. The gospel, the clear, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Friend, listen, we must build upon that foundational principle or else we build on nothing. You know what we, you know what we can do? Me and Josh and Greg, the board, and anybody else in leadership, we could grow this church. Y'all know that? We could do a lot of things to grow the number in this church and do lots of things. But I'll tell you what I want to do by the grace of God. I want to build it by the Word of God. That's what that's what will stand in, in the end. That's what we got to do. Look, it goes without my saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. The ministry of RGT must center around the gospel of the grace of God. It must be our imperative. It must be the message we faithfully proclaim, whether it's from the pulpit or in children's church, in Sunday school classes, in youth group. It's in the in in our board meeting, in the Good News Club, in the in the Evergreens, in in vacation Bible school. It doesn't matter. Our message, friend, must be the gospel. Never will forget when I was young, just been called in the ministry. Debbie remembers this gentleman. Maybe Doug does, and maybe a few others that's familiar with Boone County. I was invited to the home of a man by the name of Harlan Miller. 
Oh, he's a wonderful man. I can't wait you all get to meet him. I used to call him Solomon. He was just wise. And, and, and he, he just helped me so much when I was early in the ministry. And he looked at me one time and he said, Son, I'm going to tell you what. He said, when you preach, he said, if you've not started at the cross and, and, and went to your message or started in your message and went back to the cross, he said, I want to tell you, son, you've not preached. He said, you've not preached until you preached of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you know what? I'd have to say amen to that. Something that we must do here at Roxalana, friends, simply is to preach the gospel. Let the world say and anyone else say what it wants to, but we must preach the unadulterated, pure, eternal, powerful, plain message of the gospel. You say, preacher, you're running out of things to say. No, I've just I've got things I want to emphasize in what I've got to say. Someone may be wondering why we need the gospel and its message. And the answer to that question to me is, is easy because we need the message of the gospel. Listen, friend, listen. If you, you come in here lost, I'm talking to you. We, we live in a strange day. Robert, I thank you for reading that scripture that you did out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're living in peerless times without a doubt. I may say a little more about that in just a little bit. But we're living, friend, when, uh, when, when we see the rise of what's called the pragmatic uh, church age, the, um, the, uh, the, the censor-seeking uh, church age, when, when men that are building a church, in order to build a church, will go out in the community and ask the lost, the unsaved, the unredeemed, what it would take to get them to church. You know what, friend? That's not how Christ told us to build the church. Now look, we're, we're, we're seeker sensitive here at Roxalana. We're seeking people to be saved. We're sensitive to their needs when they come. And I'm going to tell you what, friend, listen. We want to make you welcome when you come. We, we, we even want to make you happy to be here. But bless God, if when you get here with what we preach, you leave here still comfortable, we've not done our job. I'm telling you, friend, listen, this gospel is confrontational. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Isn't that amazing? I'll tell you what, you get what he's got to offer, though, and you'll have peace. Thank God you have a peace that passes all understanding. I'm glad for that. You see, we need a message of the gospel because we're sinners headed for a devil's hell and a Christless eternity. We need the message of the gospel because sinners are lost and living under the divine condemnation of a God of wrath which is ready to be poured out upon them unless they hear and heed the message of salvation by grace through faith. It's not my job to make you feel good when you come here. Do you hear me? It's not my job to pat you on the back and say, well, how's your self-esteem this morning? That's what my job is, to help it get better. Look, I want you to have good self-esteem. I'm an LPC, a licensed professional counselor. I can help you in your self-esteem one-on-one. But my calling, friend, bless God, listen, is to challenge you. It is to reprove you, to rebuke you, then to exhort you from the Word of God. Never forget when I was going to school, my grad work, at Marshall, and uh, ran in on a weekend class on spiritual abuse. It was amazing. I was spiritually abused that weekend. I I really was. I was in this class of, I don't care to call his name, 
I mean, I mean, he, he he's done some stuff, and he he clearly likes to uh, purport and propagate what he believes. Boy, Purcell, he used to be the chief chaplain over over um, um, hospice here in the Dunbar Charlton area. We've had confrontation openly, so I'm I'm not I'm not murdering him in any way. Hey, I was in his. Cl- I wasn't in that class 11 minutes and on the top left hand corner of my first page of notes I wrote I am in big trouble now he wanted to fail me but you know why because he said you don't get the intent of this class and I looked at him I said dude I get it too good I said I'm real clear in what you're doing and I said you're using this as a foundation friend to uh, propagate and proclaim and preach your ideologies you know what he told me now listen to this everybody get ready I've been called to the gospel ministry y'all got that Hey, look, God chose me. Mom and Dad didn't see me. I'm not, I wasn't picked by denomination. Hey, I was minding my own business. I was up in, in Pennsylvania, and, and I was a mine rescue team member. It was on a Sunday night. I was minding my own business. I went to bed early that morning because we had uh, worked the hoot owl shift, and God woke me up with a message. I was in my home church going around and around and around preaching as hard as I could preach. At that time, I didn't know what it was. That's, that's how God first told me that he was calling me to preach. But can I tell you what he's called me to preach? He's called me to preach the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. He has called me, now listen, to warn people that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And boy, Purcell told me, if you preach that, you're committing spiritual abuse on people. You know what I told him? I said, if I don't preach, then I'm committing a worse abuse. If I don't warn you, sir, ma'am, and if you're lost, you'll die and split hell wide open. If I let you come in here and don't tell you that you need to flee the wrath to come, then I have failed God, and more importantly, in many ways, I have failed you. He accused me of abusing people, and I thought, man, you're abusing me, and he was. But anyway, enough of that. I don't know. Greg, it's not in my notes either. Amen. You see, the gospel is so important that it's mentioned over 100 times in the New Testament. For instance, in Romans 1.16, the Lord of God says, this is Paul, and we'll study this on Wednesday night. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for there's a power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, inherent in the message of the gospel is the power of God. And the power I'm talking about is the omnipotence, friend, that can change lives and make sinners into new creatures and fit subject for the kingdom of God. You see, I'm talking about a power that can change a man's eternal destiny. A power that invades the hearts of men and women who are lost and undone in need of a Savior that when they believe, He can make them fit subjects for heaven. You know what Paul said about the gospel in the book of 1 Corinthians 1.18? He said, The preaching of the cross is them that perish foolishness, but unto us that believe it is the power of God. Man, there's something about the message of the gospel. It has the power in it. Whether a child quotes John 3.16 or of God preaches John 3.16 it has a power in it that listen comes from God it's not a matter of lifting your voice 
It's not a matter of emphasizing. It's a simply, hey, I, I, I've told you about this guy. His first name Billy. It was in his home. Me and uh, Jim Bias was there witnessing to him. Debbie and I graduated with him. And look, before it was all over, he couldn't light his cigarette. He was shaking so bad. He said, what are you doing to me? I said, the only thing I'm doing to you is telling you about the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not touching you, buddy. I said, it's the power of this message that I've spoken to you. He was actually, he couldn't, he couldn't light his cigarette. It was funny. It was sad, but it was funny. Still lost as far as I know. Look with me, everybody that brought you Bible. You know it. It's familiar. We turn to this sometimes often, it seems here, with the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In this passage, the first four verses, in verse 3 and 4, you have the biblical definition of what the gospel is. But Paul's going to tell us some things uh, about the gospel, about his preaching it, how he got it. And I, I don't have time to do exposition on this, though I'd like. But listen to what he says as you're turning. I want you to get verses 3 and 4 for sure. But Paul said, moreover, brethren, he said, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also have redeemed and received and wherein you stand, but which also you're saved. You keep in memory that which I have preached unto you unless you believed in vain. It's not enough, sinner friend, I have a head knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's got to go to your heart to where you believe that there was a Jesus Christ and you're willing to trust your eternity on him. You can believe in vain. You say, what's to believe in vain? It means in my understanding of it, and I'm willing to grow and learn and have other uh, knowledge on this, it means to believe a historical record of Jesus without trusting Him as your Savior. That's as good a way as I can put it. And I'm sure there's better. But here's what I want you to get more than, than that. Look at verse 3 and 4. And Paul said, look, look, this, this is so remarkable. Paul said, for I delivered unto you first of all. You know what he's saying? Listen, the gospel is of, uh, of, of the most primary. I mean, I mean, it's primacy of all that we do. It's foundational. It's fundamental, yes. But it's foundational. Hey, can I tell you, there is no other message that is more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. None. It's the only message whereby men and women who are lost can be saved. The only message whereby the wrath of God is revealed, the love of God is revealed, and the need of man is revealed through a man by the name of Jesus who died at Calvary. It's the only message, friend, listen, that will change destinies of men, hearts of men, status of men. It's the only message that promises us and tells us how that we can be righteous before a righteous God. He said, first of all, delivering to you that which I also received. Now look at what he says, how that Christ died for our sins. I've told you this time and again from this pulpit. To me, that's the five greatest words in the Word of God. If you look back up in chapter 14 of this, of this same book, I forget what it is, but if you read up there, I don't know, about verse 16, 17, 18, and 19, Paul said, I'd rather speak five words with understanding than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. No, it's no coincidence that Paul says in verse 3, Christ died for our sins. And up there in chapter 14, he said, I'd rather speak five words. You know what Paul was saying? Paul was saying, if I couldn't speak anything else, if I can say diddly squat, diddly squat's a good word, it's, it's, it's T.K. Price version. If I couldn't speak diddly squat in any other language, he said, here's the five words I'd want to tell you, Christ died for our sins. 
That's amazing. Y'all know why people don't like Jesus? Because He makes us confront the fact that we're sinners. You can talk about God all you want. You, you can talk about God any way you want. But boy, I'll tell you what, you bring the conversation in and say, hey, Jesus is God, it'll change in a heartbeat. Because Jesus will bring... You see, Paul talks about the... What's he talk about? How is it? What is it? The cross? The persecution of the cross? But there's something else. I can't think of it right off. But, but, but it talks about the guilt that's entered... Uh, that's energized in us when we hear about him. And look at what he goes on to say in verse 4. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. And it's according to the scriptures. What must we do at Roxalana? Preach the gospel. Now listen. In Acts 20, 24, Paul calls it the gospel of the grace of God. In Romans 1, 1, Paul calls it the gospel of God. Let me, let me back up. Uh, in, in, in Acts 20, 24, he calls it the gospel of the grace of God because it's what it is, friend. It's a gospel of grace. It's a gospel not of works, but of grace. We're saved by grace through faith, and we're not saved at all. He said in Romans 1 and 1, Paul called it the gospel of God. You say, why is it the gospel of God? Because it originated with him. In verse 16 of chapter 1, Paul calls it the gospel of Christ. You say, why is it the gospel of Christ? You just called it the gospel of God because it's the gospel of God about His Son, Jesus Christ. In, in Romans 2.16, Paul calls it my gospel. Hey, I'll tell you what, I, I want you to know the gospel. I've got that in a reference here too. But it's better when it becomes my gospel, when you take it personally, when you make it yours, when you realize that when Jesus died, He died for me, and I can live for Him if I trust Him as my Savior. He said in the book of Romans 10.15, Paul calls it the gospel of peace. But I'll tell you what, the world needs peace. It needs the peace of God that passes understanding. I'm telling you, friend, look, it's available to the whosoever wills. In Romans 15 and 20, Paul calls it the gospel, that one-of-a-kind gospel. There is no other gospel, and yet there are multitudes of gospels being propagated today that are not the gospel. They are another gospel. You say, what kind is that, preacher? Well, here it is. We preach the gospel of the grace of God, meaning that it comes our way as a gift from God when we realize we're a sinner, we repent of our sin, and by faith receive Christ as our Savior. God gives it as a free gift. We do no work to get it. We do no work to maintain it. But listen, because we are saved, we will work. But the other gospel, another gospel is when you believe the message that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and resurrected, and say in order to really, truly, fully be saved, you've got to be baptized. You've got to go to church. You've got to pay tithe. Now listen, I could say a lot of things. I could go down through a litany of lists. I believe, I believe in being baptized, but not in order to be saved, but because I am saved. We call it believer's baptism around here. I believe in going to church. I believe it's a good thing, but bless God, listen, you can go to church all your life just like standing in a garage and you'll never become a car. You can come here all you want, lost, but unless you get saved, you'll never become a Christian. I believe in tithing. I even do it. Tithing won't get you to heaven. Any other thing that I could say. Let me give you a couple more and I'll move on. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul talked about 
uh, called it the glorious gospel. If y'all think it's glorious in your life, could you say amen? Man, I'll tell you what, wasn't it glorious? Whatever, hey, hey, if y'all, if as many of you do me this favor, as many of you all uh, remember uh, what day that you were saved on the count of three, say it with me. And if you don't know, just say, I don't know, but it was one, two, three, April the 23rd, 1974. That day, that moment, that hour, it became a glorious gospel to you. A sinner who was saved by grace. A sinner that went down in prayer, lost and undone, came up saved as a saint and on their way to heaven. That's pretty glorious to me. Y'all didn't seem to think so, but I do. Ephesians 1.13, Paul calls it the gospel of your salvation. The gospel. Hey, I want to ask you now, is it yours yet? You see, it's a message that contains a message of both the wrath of God and the sin of mankind and the love of God that provided a way and a means whereby sinful men can be saved by grace through faith. You see, the gospel that we preach is all about a work Christ uh, did at Calvary. He died there in order to satisfy the righteous claim of God and at the same time provide that a holy God can impute or put to our account or lay on our record the righteousness of His Son. It's the only means whereby God can declare a believing sinner righteous, and listen, while still in a sinning state, and while at the same time give Him a perfect standing before God. I just said a mouthful right there. It's the only way, friend, that we can have a standing. For God. It's the only way that God can declare us righteous, not make us righteous, but add to our account the righteousness of His Son in such a way that when He puts it on our account and He looks at me and you, He doesn't see us just as if we had not sinned. That's justification. It's the first cousin of righteousness. It means that He looks at us as if we had never been a sinner. Now that's glorious. Do you hear me? That's glorious. And if you want to get right with God, you've got to go through Christ. You've got to come to the cross of Calvary. You've got to go because of the... Uh, you've got to trust in the, in the message, friend, of the gospel of the grace of God. You see, listen now, friend. This church must preach the gospel of the grace of God plainly, powerfully, persistently, passionately. We must. This is what the world needs. Y'all been watching, I don't know, it's partly, I want to say, fiasco, and yet it's our democratic process that played out this week. There's arguments for both sides to go ahead and get the Speaker of the, of the House, you know, elected so the democratic process can continue while at the same time our democracy is made for objections and people to speak them and still have right and honor. And some of the things that some of them wanted, I couldn't disagree with whether you do or I do or don't. It's our process. Do you know, what, you know what we need more than a speaker in the house? We need men and women in the house of God to speak the gospel. For men and women in their houses to believe the gospel. 
Turn, if you will, to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verses 13 and 14 with me. Listen, and I'm getting close to being done. Not enough for you to go play, but close. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says this. Now this isn't an option. This isn't a suggestion. Paul was talking to a young preacher. But it's applicable to anybody and everybody that's a believer who has their trust and faith in Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, he said, Hold fast. Hold fast. The form of sound words which you have heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ and that good thing was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Don't you believe that that ought to be the goal of every pastor, of every preacher, of every teacher, of every Sunday school worker, of every lay member that, 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 that is a part of this church or any other Bible-believing church? You see, instead of preaching a gospel that's, that's attractive and non-confrontational, acceptable to lost men, which emphasize the love of God above everything, don't you think we ought to preach a gospel that confronts sinners with the fact that he's lost and on his well to a, way to a devil's hell and a Christless eternity? You see, this is the kind of gospel Jesus died for, and this is the kind of gospel we must preach at Roxalan. Told you'd be tired of hearing me say it before the message was over, but I'm not done yet. We're living, I believe, with all of my heart in the last days. No doubt in my mind, we're living in the last days. God's called us and given us a charge to preach the word in 2 Timothy 2 2, or 4 and 2. When he charged Timothy, he was ready to lay his pen down, ready to go to the chop block of Rome, ready to depart planet earth for, uh, for heaven. Paul told Timothy, he could have told him multitudes of things. He could have said, look, work on your oratation abilities. Put gravel in both sides of your jaws. Go down by a stream and just talk for hours with your jaws full of gravels. That's how one man became a great orator, by the way. He didn't tell Paul, he didn't tell, uh, Paul didn't tell Timothy, he said, now listen, learn your manners. Make sure you never, never um, uh, offend anybody. Make the gospel hard. He didn't tell him that. He just said, hey, Timothy, preach the word. I don't have to make the word of God anything. I just need to present it as it is. The Word of God knows how to do what God designed it to do. It knows where to go, what to do when it arrives. The Word of God says about it that it is a two-edged sword. I don't have to do anything to make anything up. All I've got to do is proclaim it. And you say, why this charge? Well, according to what Paul told Timothy in verses 3 and 4 of 2 Timothy, he said, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Do you all know today, friend, in these seeker-sensitive churches, these prosperity gospel preachers, these preachers that dress down, wear a t-shirt and tight blue jeans and necklaces around their neck. 
Do you all know, friend, they intensely just preach the love of God and never preach the wrath of God? Can I tell you that's not the true gospel? Do you all know that the love of God, listen, does us no good until we understand about the wrath of God? Do you all know that there's no good news until you learn the bad news? Now, the gospel is good news. It's like cold water. You know, it's like a good cold water, uh, you know, in a foreign country. Hey, the, the, the gospel is good news from heaven. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. I'll tell you, friend, look, that time that Paul said would come has come. We're there. So, here's what we need to do at Roxalana. Here's what preachers need to do everywhere, actually. Instead of pacifying a congregation that's on the edge of hell, instead of stroking their self-esteem, instead of dialoguing with them, we need to herald clearly and loudly the only message of salvation known to man. We need to tell men that according to the Word of God, whether they like it or not, they're sinners in need of a Savior. Now let me say something about that. I didn't say that. The Word of God said that. Romans 3.23 says, We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's a verse that says, There's none righteous. No, not one. It's the Word of God. Now, we may not be all as bad as we can be. We're not all, thank God, Charles Mansons. We're not all, thank God, Jeffrey Dahmers. We're not all Stalins and Hitlers, and we could go on and on and on. But can I tell you what? All of us that were lost were as bad off as all of those four men that I just mentioned. See, that's the problem. People think they're better than what they are. And the truth of the matter is men are sinners, and unless they're saved, they're going to be lost. So, we must preach a gospel focuses on the Lord Jesus Christ his death, his burial, his resurrection, you, you know what You know what, what? who was it, Joe Osteen that says I don't need to tell people they're sinners, they already know that listen to me, Look, everybody look up here, no they don't you're a sinner, but they're not We're, I'm different than you, y'all got that don't you, and that's biblical, every man is right in his own eyes that's a proverb Listen, we've all sinned. We all need a Savior. All of us. Joe Osteen says, look, we got enough to make us feel bad. I don't need to make people feel bad when they come to church. I'll tell you what my philosophy is. If you're a sinner, I bless God, I hope when I preach you feel like a dog's been caught in a hen house eating chickens. That's what I hope. I hope you get under some conviction so bad you can't stand yourself and want to cry out like the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? Being lost is serious. Being lost for eternity is more serious. Y'all get that, don't you? I never preach a funeral that a family doesn't want me to give them assurance of their lost loved one. Never, not the first time. Can you get any hope, preacher? Well, can you give me any testimony of their salvation? Anything, anything that we can use. And I never take anybody's hope away. I don't care whether I believe the story, where I think it's true, strong, weak. I never take away a family's hope, but I'll never give them false hope. It's not my job. But my job as a preacher is to upset you, unsettle you, 
challenge you, cause you to think, cause you to ask yourself, what is your standing with God? And can I tell you, friend, without Him, it's not good. With Him, it's blessed forevermore. We must preach a gospel that focuses on the Lord Jesus. His substitutional death, burial, and resurrection. We must preach the gospel that is full of the power of God. We don't need to water it down. We, 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 we don't need to weaken it or make it palatable to man's taste. We just need to proclaim it simply, clearly, repetitively. You see, we need a gospel that is if it's spoken on any street in America and our world. And if believed by anyone on that street in America that they could be delivered fully, completely from the power, the penalty, and the presence of sin. That's the kind of gospel we need. Go ahead, Judy. You see, this church must be a gospel-centered church. And you know what that means? It means we're to be a Christ-centered church. Allow me to close this message with giving you probably what may be the greatest scripture that you can find anywhere in the Word of God. It's very familiar. You all know it. You can turn to it if you would like. It's made up of 25 words. That means it's full of grace. The middle word of this verse that I'm going to quote to you and refer you to is the word son. I've read after scholars that says that John 3, 16 in the King James Bible. Now listen to the audacity and the ignorance of mankind. They say it's just a, quote, fluke of translation, unquote. That in the King James Bible there are 25 words and the word that's in the middle is son. I'm ignorant, friend, but I'm not that ignorant. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, that says it all. The, the, the gospel is in miniature right there. There's nothing more that you need to know, and yet He tells us in many different ways what that message means. He'll go on to tell you in the next verse that Christ came into this world to condemn the world, but He goes on to say in the next verse because the world was condemned already. But he did come to seek and to save. And friend, if you don't know without a shadow of a doubt that your name's in the Lamb's book of life, if you don't know if you were to die today, for sure you're going to heaven. If you can't remember a time when under the conviction of the Spirit of God, because the Word of God was preached, you went to God and said, God, I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I want you to save me. I need you to save me. You need to be saved. That's, that's just that simple. So I'm closing with that verse. A verse that in reality says it all. I'm going to quote it again. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But whosoever, that means you, sir, ma'am, whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. You know what you'll do if you die lost without trusting Christ? You'll perish. You won't be extinguished. But you'll miss, friend, eternally the purpose that God had for you. You'll die forever without dying, paying for your sins, and never getting them paid for, although you'll be dying. I know that sounds like a 
mix of things and makes no sense. But that's what the Word of God teaches.